Good morning. I'll be interested to see whether you're still um, in a positive um, mood with me when we finish today. <laughs> um, it's great to be continuing uh, in, this, uh, in this series. It's uh, a little bit of an in-between thing. And a couple of months ago, DJ actually asked me, he said, AJ, I've been thinking about this. I'm wondering how you'd feel about bringing a message to New Vine around giving. And uh, I thought about that a bit, and I said, I'd love to do that. Um, but I'm, a, I'm aware that um, you know, giving can kind of raise, raise tensions, and I, I certainly stand in front of you today sharing things, I guess, that I've learned over, over my life. Um, I've, they've been quite liberating truths, and I'd love you to hear what I have to say today through the, through the, through the lens of generosity, um, you know, towards, towards my reason for standing up here and, and doing this. I, I really want to share with you a truth that I think uh, is really powerful. So um, choosing Malachi was a little bit contrived. Um, Malachi, as one of the minor prophets, speaks quite cl clearly into the space of giving uh, and tithing. Uh, and so I'm going to focus a fair bit of attention this morning in that, in that issue of tithing. The word tithing literally means tenthing. It means taking a tenth of what the increase that God has given you and giving it away. And so I'm hoping today that uh, we're going to laser in a bit on tithing and we might answer a few questions. Firstly, what is it? Secondly, um, should I tithe? If I was going to tithe, um, how would I do that? So let's pray together, just invite him into this space. Father, we do just uh, want to thank you for every good thing that you've given us. Lord, today afresh we acknowledge that our, our very life, all that we have, finds its authorship in you. You are the giver of life. You're the one who causes the sun to come up over the horizon every day. Lord, uh, we, we thank you for coming and walking amongst us, and we thank you for those words that you said, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Lord, we invite you to continue to take us on a journey with what it means uh, to be uh, someone who's generous, Lord, someone who takes these things seriously. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. Well, listen, one of the other great privileges of my life was actually having two daughters and uh, trying to work out how to train them in really practical things and training them in how to organise their life from a giving point of view. Now, you dare and dig deeper, guys. There's a little bit of hope here. There's a pizza. Trying to think about how to train our girls um, as they, you know, from a very young age, how they would go about their finances was, what, was one of the great challenges for Fiona and I uh, as parents. And the very simple thing that, uh, that we first of all cottoned onto was to teach them right from the tiniest of ages that they should be giving their first tenth to God. And so if I can kind of illustrate this as best I can with the pizza... We taught them right at the start of the week, a tenth is a fairly unusual way to cut a pizza, but let's, let's, let's have a crack and uh, un almost untouched by human hands. The tenth. We taught them that they took out a tenth and they put it in a special jar and then they had this nine tenths of a pizza left. And, uh, and so each, each week when they got the allowance, we, they, there were things that they were expected to do in the family, you know, little chores and things like that. And each week they got an allowance from that. They'd take a tenth of it. I think God organised tenths because he gave us ten fingers. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, put that one in the jar. That was all right. And then our very first lessons, we taught them to split the rest of the pizza in half. Two big chunks. Now, those of you that are kind of... Um, Mathematical won't be able to tell me that's 
45% in each. That, that's not really important because the really critical thing was we were at a very basic level trying to teach them about saving. So we said half of the bit that's left, that's for you to spend. That's pretty good, isn't it? You can buy a lot of lollies with that half of the pizza. And this half of the pizza, this is for saving. Now, it turned out that our girls were quite good at spending. It didn't take them very long at all. <laughs> to get rid of this bit of the pizza. Yeah, like, there we go, guys. A little bit more hope for the dig deeper, guys. But the, the whole idea of this savings bit here was to actually get them thinking about bigger things. You know, it's easy for the little bits to be spent on lollies or toys or stuff like that. But the 45% over here, they had to pitch their case to mum and dad as to why they should be able to use it. And so it was, they had to kind of get, we had veto on it. Um, but this, from a very early age, started them thinking about perhaps some clothes that they wanted to buy, or perhaps a special toy. One of uh, Siobhan's early things was saving up for a Wii. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <coughs> we weren't that nasty. So anyway, they'd come and they'd pitch their case to us about the 45%, and soon enough, those things would get put in there as well. Now that was a, that was a, pretty, that was a pretty helpful start to their um, learnings. And um, we encouraged them to do extra work um, so they could pitch to us a case that, you know, mum was doing some gardening, would you like to help? Okay, if you're going to help for an hour, how much is that worth? And so at the very early stage, oh, that's probably worth three dollars. It's a bit child labour at our place. <laughs> Then they do their hour of gardening, they get their $3, they take their 30 cents and put it in their jar. That was all good. But then they started to think, that's a lot of work for $3. Next time they inflate the price to $5. And so they began to learn skills. At the time I was running a small business that was making furniture. And you know those little Ziploc bags? Really hard to get things in there with big fingers like mine. But again, child labour, they could put it all the shelf containers and the handles in there and lock them up and they got paid by the bag. So they began to learn lessons about if you worked harder, you could earn more than $3 in an hour because you worked fast and you put your head down. And then you got your $4.40, you took your $0.44 cents out, you put it in your jar and you dedicated that to God. And so that was how we uh, first taught them. Now, Fiona grew up in a family that was not of faith at all. And my family had some honouring language towards God, but we certainly didn't practice anything that looked like faith when I was growing up as a kid. So we both had interesting stories when it came to our own journey of giving. When Fiona's mum found out that as a 16 and 17 year old, Fiona was tithing her money to the church, her mother was absolutely horrified. But it seems like it's held Fiona in quite good stead over the last 40 years, that, that giving to the church. Um, when I first gave my life to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus in a, uh, in a mission, uh, and uh, I, 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 my first experiences of getting together with people of faith was in small groups. But when I was invited to come to a church and I finally accepted the invitation, I told my mum, oh, mum, I'm going to church. You're doing what? <laughs> I'm going to church. Oh, okay. She said, don't forget to take something for the plate. I said, what? She said, the plate. I said, what's the plate? She said, oh, they'll, they'll send a plate round for you to put money on. And I famously said, don't be stupid, mum. <laughs> They're not going to do that. Church is all about Jesus. They're not putting some plate around. Well, anyway, an hour later, when I'm sitting in this pew, kind of trying to work this all out, and this plate's coming around, I'm thinking, oh, very embarrassed when mum's right. 
But you know, I turned up next week with $20 in my pocket, intending to put that in the plate. And it's, it's interesting for me reflecting back on it, because that financial gift was actually coming out of my thankfulness to God for breaking into my life. And I think we really want to keep that um, in our heart all of the time, that this is about our thankfulness to God. Well, got the tandoori pizza next, boys. You like a tandoori pizza? Right. Now, the next, uh, the next thing that we did with the girls is they still had to take their tenth out. There it goes, approximately a tenth. Good. They put that in their jar to take to church on Sunday. They used to enjoy it, actually. It was a bit of fun. And then uh, we kept talking about this 45-45 thing, and we started to try and get them to understand that in the 45, um, they didn't actually have to spend everything on themselves. That in this 45 here, there was their spending money. They could actually give that to some to something good. They didn't have to spend it on themselves. And, and our daughter, Michaela, very famously, as a 13-year-old, took on her first compassion child. And she started to learn something about giving offerings. And so we sort of tried to encourage them to understand that, you know, there was this basic 10% giving, uh, but there was also this other giving that we could do, and that many passages in the Bible, you know, sort of talked about different sorts of offerings and opening our heart to what God would say for us to do with all that we have. So then that left the other 45, and we started to try and get them to think about um, what it meant to invest, not just to save. So saving, you know, we sort of said, you know, like mum and dad, we, we like to put money aside so that if the fridge breaks, we're not crippled, we've got some savings that we can go and replace the fridge. We know the fridge is going to break at some stage, we don't know when, but we save so that we can do that. But there are other activities that actually can make you more wealthy in the future. So that might be things like buying yourself some tools, Troy. Tools are an investment. That might be going and getting yourself an education, Taj. An education is an investment. Um, but there are also other things that we can spend money on that are those investments. And Michaela, very famously, saved up for a guitar, which was an investment for her. And that was one of the things that we, we said, well, yeah, that's sort of saving for something, but you're not just saving to spend. You're actually saving to invest because you're investing in your, the gift that God's given you in music. And, uh, and then she very, uh, very cleverly went out busking with one of, the, one of the lads in her school and they were very good together and the guitar paid for itself very, very quickly. And so we began to help them to understand about that. But I think one of the lessons that... Hey, hey, hey. Oh, hang on, we'll go for the meat lovers. But I think one of the things that's really important that our girls quite quickly learnt, and Fiona and I certainly learnt this as well, if we, don't give our, if, we, if we set our heart towards giving and we don't actually set our giving away as that first thing that we do when we make a profit or we earn a wage, what tends to happen is we kind of go, oh dear, need to spend some money on the house. Yeah, that's the rent. Oh, there's a bit of maintenance on the house as well. Houses are expensive, aren't they? So that bit there's gone as well. And then we got, oh, got to get some food in the pantry. That's an important part of my spending every week. And, uh, oh, there's the electricity bill. Oh, and then the fridge broke down. Oh, I've got to get some new clothes. And so all of, these, all of this money is going out of our system all the time. 
And uh, oh, there's that deposit on the holiday. There's that friend's wedding. Oh, there's, there's that Netflix. Oh, and, uh, and finally we're going, oh, God, my, we've got to give, give something to God as well. And God ends up becoming God of our leftovers. And, uh, and so the, the, the beautiful thing about tithing um, is that it, tr- it teaches us to trust God in, you know, in everything. And it actually does begin to change the way that we, th- the, the way that we think about our finances. Anyway, um, our girls uh, took this and they ran with it. They grew, in, they grew in appreciation of the principles. At 13 years of old, uh, 13 years of old, <laughs> 13 years of age, as I said, Michaela took on her first um, sponsor child, and uh, about a year after she took on a sponsor child, she actually wrote a little in a competition about what she'd got out of sponsoring her child, and she actually won a national competition (laughs) with her writing and won a free trip to Indonesia to visit her sponsor child with compassion. Boy, that took a big deep breath for me and Fiona, sending our 14-year-old with a group of people that we hardly knew off to Indonesia. But it was a beautiful lesson for her and how she had given and now God had opened up this opportunity for her and she very much saw God's provision uh, in that. I don't think there's any coincidence that Michaela now spends her life trying to help the children um, you know, in destitute poverty uh, in Africa as a missionary. You know, and, 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 and something of that was sown uh, into her life. Uh, Siobhan... Also saw God's provision uh, as an early teenager getting her dream job. She actually, she's a doctor now, but she still thinks that maybe this is still her dream job, working at Boost Juice. (laughs) The only problem is that Boost Juice is right across the other side of the city. And so while Fiona and I could say, thank you, God, for providing this job, we're also a little bit miffed that we had to take her all the way over to Boost Juice. And so in thinking about this again in part of the training, we actually started charging our daughter travel costs to take her to work. Because you can imagine she was a bit ticked off about that to start with. But again, it's a, it's a vital lesson when you think about the increase that God is giving you because it was costing a significant amount of time and money for her to earn that money. Um, and so she didn't have to tithe on the money that she gave us for travel because that was part of the expense of her getting it. Anyway, little by little, um, these sort of ideas developed. The idea of tithing actually is a very old idea. Archaeology um, actually shows us that the people in the Middle East uh, seem to have practiced it in various religious forms for a long, long time. And it's actually uh, in the book of Genesis um, and the person of Abraham that tithing first enters our scriptures. Abraham's in a desperate situation. Um, His people have been abducted. Uh, His whole life is on the edge. Uh, One of the allied kings to him is in the same boat. And Abraham trusts God and he goes off with his men to try and rescue his family and rescue their stuff. There's no police force, no army. They're trying to take matters into their own hand and he's trusting God. And God gives him a wonderful victory. When he comes back, this is in Genesis 14, when he comes back, um, he says some amazing words to the other king. He says, you can have everything that is yours back. And the king says, no, 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 just give me my people. You can have all my money. And uh, Abraham says, no, I'm not taking your money. I don't, I don't want you down the track saying that, I, that I, you made me rich. God's the one who's looking after me. And so he said, what we're going to do is we're going to give a tenth to the priest. And they tithed to the priest Melchizedek. He gave the king all his 
money left, and Abraham took the rest of the plunder. And so Abraham is the first person uh, in the scripture who is seen as, as tithing. And it's really him acknowledging that God was the one who'd given them the victory. And again, I think that's another lesson that we can learn if we, if we take on the idea of tithing. The next time it uh, jumps into our scripture uh, is in... Um, uh, with Jacob, uh, 14 chapters later in Genesis 28. Now, Jacob is Abraham's grandson. He is in a desperate situation. He's heading off on an international journey. He's very vulnerable. He has, he's hoping to find a wife and find a future and not get, a, not get chased down by his angry brother. And so Jacob uh, is in a desperate situation. He goes into prayer and has this amazing experience with God. You can read it there for yourself. And the very last verse of chapter 28, coming out of that experience with God, Jacob commits himself to tithing. He says, God, I will tithe. Uh, I will give you a tenth of everything that you provide for me. And so we go from there, um, you know, into the laws of the Old Testament. So these, these things get codified um, in Leviticus. They get codified even more in Deuteronomy. Um, and an interesting thing is when they first turn up in uh, Leviticus, uh, they don't, don't, they're not really explained. And I think that the, the idea of that is probably because it was just a common thing that people, a concept that they had. In the New Testament, doesn't really talk about tithing much at all. There's one little, one little bit that Jesus says there in Luke. He says, you do well to tithe. It's a good thing that you tithe, but you really need to put your attention onto some of those weighty issues of love and justice as well. And so there's many rules that describe all of these things. As we go into Malachi today, um, Tithing and giving is, is two of the complaints that God has, but there's a, there's a few others as well. We're going to watch the Jesus video, um, and I promise to the young guys there'll be some food afterwards, so hang in there. I know that, I know that everyone is growling at you at the moment. Um, <laughs> we're going to watch that video, and then I'm going um, to talk a bit more to those six things. Whilst this is an ancient book, they sound quite modern problems that were going on in amongst the people who love God. Enjoy. The book of the prophet Malachi. He lived about a hundred years after the Israelites had returned from their Babylonian exile. And his message was directed to the people who had been living in Jerusalem for some time now. The temple had been rebuilt a while ago and things were not going well. Just remember the stories from Ezra and Nehemiah. Now when the Israelites first returned from exile, their hopes were high. They would return and rebuild their lives and the temple, all of the great promises of the prophets would come true. The Messiah would come and set up God's kingdom over a unified Israel and over the nations and bring justice and peace for all. But that's not what happened. The Israelites who repopulated the city proved to be just as unfaithful to God as their ancestors, resulting in poverty and injustice. And so in Malachi, we find out just how corrupt this new generation has become. The book's designed as a series of disputes, and most sections begin with God saying something, making a claim or an accusation, and then Israel will disagree or question God's statement. And then God will respond and offer the last word. This happens six times. In the first three disputes, God exposes Israel's corruption. And in the final three disputes, he confronts their corruption. And the overall impression you get from these arguments and disputes is that the exile fundamentally didn't change anything in the people. Israel's hearts are as hard as ever. 
The first dispute starts when God says that he still loves his covenant people despite their failures. And Israel rudely objects, saying, how have you shown us any love? And so God reminds them of how he graciously chose the family of Jacob, their ancestor, to become the carrier of God's covenant promises, instead of Esau, his brother, and the family that came from him, who eventually came to ruin. Remember the stories from Genesis and the book of Obadiah. And so right from this first dispute, Israel is exposed as suspicious doubting God's love and faithfulness. The second dispute exposes a problem with Israel's second temple. God accuses the people of despising and defiling the temple. And the people fire back, how have we despised you? And so God responds by focusing on the people, how they're bringing shamefully lame offerings of these sick, blemished animals that show that they don't value or honor their God. But it's not just the people, it's the priests too who run the temple. They not only tolerate but participate in these corrupt forms of worship. From top to bottom, God's people have proven faithless. In the third dispute, God accuses the Israelite men of treachery against him and their wives, which of course they deny. And God exposes the toxic combination of idolatry and divorce taking place. You have Israelite men marrying non-Israelite women and then adopting the worship of their wives' ancestral gods into their homes. Remember the story from Nehemiah chapter 13. And so Malachi connects this to a wave of men divorcing their wives for no good reason. And the people are all fine with this and Malachi says, no, it's a betrayal of your covenant with God. And so Malachi transitions into the second set of disputes that confront Israel's rebellion. So the fourth dispute begins with the Israelites accusing God of neglect, saying, where is the God of justice? They see injustice and corruption abounding and God seems to do nothing. So God responds by saying that he'll send a messenger who will prepare the people for God's personal return in the day of the Lord. He will come like fire to purify his people and to remove idolatry and sexual immorality and injustice so that only the faithful remnant is left to become his people. In the fifth dispute, God calls the people to turn back to him, to which the people say, how can we turn back? And so God confronts their selfishness. He shows how they've stopped offering a tithe of their income to the temple. Now, that word tithe just means one-tenth. It's the amount of their income and produce that the Israelites were to annually donate to support the temple and its priests. The practice is laid out in different parts of the Torah. Now, we know from Malachi and from the book of Nehemiah that the people were neglecting this response. And so the temple was falling into disrepair. And so God confronts them. He says he wants to bless them with abundance, but only if they're going to be faithful. In the final dispute, the people accuse God and say that it's pointless to serve him. They observe wicked, prideful people succeeding in life, and God does nothing. And God's response, for the first time in the book, is not a speech but rather a short story about the faithful remnant in Israel, people who fear the Lord and they love to get together and talk about how to honor God and serve him. And so God orders that a scroll of remembrance be written for these people so that they can read the scroll and remember God's character and promises. Malachi, he's reflecting here on the divine gift of the scriptures, how they point us to the past to remember what God has done in order to inspire faithfulness and hope for the future which leads to the conclusion of the book. It picks up and develops the imagery of the fourth dispute about the coming day of the Lord, but it develops it further. God says that he's appointed a day of purifying judgment that will consume the wicked from among his people. 
But what the conclusion adds is the future of the faithful remnant, because for them the day of the Lord is not a threat, it's a cause for joy. It'll be like the rays of the rising sun that bring healing and life and hope for the future. And so Malachi's disputes come to a close, but there's still a bit more to this book. The final three verses, they're not part of the disputes, and actually they function like a concluding appendix, bringing closure not just to Malachi, but to the whole collection of the Torah and the prophets. So first, the reader is called to remember the law, or the Torah, of my servant Moses. This recalls the story and the laws of the covenant that you find in the first five books of the Bible. But then we hear this summary of the books of the prophets. I will send the prophet Elijah before the day of the Lord, who will restore the hearts of God's people. So this conclusion, it summarizes the Torah and the prophets as a unified story that points to the future. Israel was redeemed by God, and then they betrayed him through their rebellion and hard hearts, breaking the laws of the Torah. But the scriptures anticipate a future day when God's going to send a new prophet, a Moses, a new Elijah, who will restore God's people and heal their hard hearts. Remember all of the promises from Deuteronomy and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And so this concluding appendix presents the scriptures as a divine gift to read and to ponder and to pray over. They tell the truth about the human condition, about our selfishness and our sin. But they also announce God's promise that one day he would send a messenger and then show up personally to confront evil, to restore his people and bring his healing justice. And it's that future hope that Malachi and the Torah and all of the prophets are about. Gee, they, they do that well, don't they? So good. So, so Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament. If you want to find it, just go to Matthew and turn left. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the Jewish nation had over 300 years of waiting from the time that Malachi was written and was a book where God had placed in front of them um, these disputes, you know, uh, that they had 300 years of waiting before uh, Jesus kind of turned up and fulfilled much of the stuff uh, that is in there. But I did want to just uh, turn our attention uh, to the six things. I think you're going to have to go back, sorry. Um, the six disputes there that um, God puts in front of them. Um, no, you're going to have to go back a bit further, sorry. One more, two more. Um, the, so so you, you, saw that, you saw on that chart there the six things. God wants to assure the Israelites um, of, the, of his love, but they're not feeling it. He wants to assure them of his love, but they're not feeling it. They should be able to look back and be thankful uh, for the blessings of the past, but they've not. I've met some people like that. Have you met people like that? The second dispute, the people and their leaders were not taking their worship seriously. The people are being terribly let down by hypocritical leaders bringing half-hearted offerings and living hypocritical lives. That sounds a little familiar to us in, the, in, the, in our day and age too, doesn't it? And the general feeling, I think, has really picked up well in the NCV uh, version there. It just you know, has the people saying, we're all, just, we're all tired of doing this. They're going through the motions and they're tired of doing it. The third dispute was all around marriages. Marriages have been splitting up and there was the added complication of uh, people marrying out into different religions. And then God sort of reflects on how they're going and he says, and now 
You cry and moan, but look, you've broken your promises and you're living outside of my blessing, um, so keep your promises. Now, that's from the AJV. That's the Andrew John version. That's my sort of sum up of uh, verses 13 and 14. You cry and you moan, but look, you've broken your promises and you're living outside of the blessing. Um, and again, we live in a society that's devastated, aren't we, by the breakups of families and marriages. Um, dispute number four, the people have a deep cry in their heart. Where is justice? We can't see justice. You know, I think this cry of the human heart around justice is actually something that is built into us because we are created in God's nature. We see things of injustice and they offend our heart. These people were overwhelmed with what they were seeing as injustice. And I, I feel like I live in a world where people are overwhelmed by the injustices that they see. So this all feels really modern to me. In my reflection in the last few weeks about this, I feel like I've had a massive wake-up call because I've realised how clearly we are living in a different society um, that, than any other generation before us. We have washing over us information coming from the four corners of the earth all of the time and it's pretty much all bad news, isn't it? You know, if there's a war, if there's a famine, if there's a disaster, if there's a tidal wave, it doesn't matter where it happens on earth, it washes over us through our media streams, through our televisions, through our radios. Is there such a thing as radio anymore? Yes. But, but we have access to information from everywhere on the earth, and so we're constantly bombarded by all of the bad things that are happening. One of the challenges that I'm kind of feeling in all of this is for, for me personally to realise that's a really weird way to live. It's a very weird way to live, to be overwhelmed by bad news from places where I can't do anything about it. And so I'm just going to try and modify the amount of stuff I'm consuming that's not really very helpful. You know, I think back about what it would be like to live in a village in 1700. You know, well, what was the news? You know, did you hear that Jack's hurt his knee? Mrs. McGillicuddy's made some of her gum scones again? Oh! I'm, for, I'm breaking my promise. Sorry, I forgot about the pizza. Guys, go for it. <laughs> so I, sorry, no, I remember what it's like to be a teenager. It's a decade of hunger with small amounts of not so hungry. So Isaac Cocking's going to come and distribute some pizza to anybody who thinks they are of dare or dig deeper age or should be. Um, <laughs> So um, I, I feel like a lot of this stuff is self-induced uh, for us in our time where we cry out justice. But, you know, God wants us to look towards Jesus, the messenger who has the words of eternal life. And, and Malachi was pointing them towards that, that there's going to come someone that will bring justice. Number five, uh, the one that obviously we're drawing a bit of attention around today, he challenges them about their tithes, confronting them that they're not giving what they ought. And he uses these very provocative words, you are robbing me. Um, if they respond positively, um, he, they will find God's provision and protection. God's provision and protection. And he audaciously says, test me in this. And finally, there's a cry from people, dispute number six. It seems futile to serve God. Why do wicked people succeed? And so I actually thought that all of these things sounded quite modern. I wouldn't be surprised if in a modern survey done by the National Church Life Survey or McCrindle, these sorts of feedbacks uh, could be given to us in the day and age in which we live. And it certainly feels to me that there's more than a few Christians who, for understandable reasons, get cynical about their leaders and about their faith, and we find ourselves ending up saying things like, we're tired of doing all of this. I've got this on another screen, if you can punch forward. 
We're tired of doing all of this. It's just not fair. It's futile to serve God. And likewise, we can get lax in our promises that we make to other people. And we can be lax in our faithfulness with things like our giving. But there were some instructions in Malachi that I thought were timeless. Malachi, that we could take this and we could pull this directly uh, into our uh, day and age. Be on your guard. The context here is in, in your relationships. Be on your guard and keep your promises. Malachi 3.6, return to me and I will return to you. You know, God calls us to turn our hearts constantly, day by day, uh, back to him. Malachi 3.10, test me in this area of your giving and you will find my provisions and protections. And Malachi 4.3, there is a day coming for the faithful where the sun of righteousness will shine with healing in its rays. And I feel like this is a call for us to keep our hope and to keep eternity in our heart to keep our perspective. So let's jump into Malachi 3, 6 to 12. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of our ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return to you? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delight. Delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Can you hear that heart there in and around provision, God's provision and protection? And hear the tone when God says, test me in this. Them's are fighting words, aren't they? Test me in this. They're provocative. Would such a thing still be relevant to you and me as followers of Jesus? Would he say similar things to us? So anyway, let's bring a few of these ideas home. Should I tithe? My initial answer to that, in a sense, is to say no. There you go, you might have heard all you need. <laughs> Thanks, AJ. Jump in the car, go home. That was great. Nice little history lesson. My first response is to say no, you don't need to tithe, because we don't have a, we don't have a temple. We're not ancient Israelites under the covenant of Israel. The Torah's rules are not for us. Also, the New Testament is surprisingly quiet on the matter. As I said before, it doesn't teach tithe. But along with things like Sabbath and circumcision, it's just like the New Testament doesn't really pick those things up. It doesn't really pick up the tithe. But when we think of things like Sabbath, when we think of things like circumcision, when we think of things like tithing, perhaps there's actually an incredibly deep truth here. And so I certainly believe that the picture that's created by tithing and the principles around it are timeless and they're relevant to us. That was relevant, not irrelevant. They're relevant. So maybe it's not a no. But maybe a better question is this one. Why wouldn't I tithe? Well, I did a little thinking about this. I've answered this question myself a few times, honestly, because I quite often don't want to give. Does anyone else have that problem? And I thought, you know, the two answers that I come up with of why wouldn't I want to tithe is I don't think I can afford it. 
I look at my finances and I think, I can't afford it. And then when I stop and I think about that, that really is a bit about trust, isn't it? really is about daily trust in the Lord. And the second reason I think, well, why wouldn't I want to tithe is because I've actually got some great aspirations of what I do with this hard-earned money. And uh, it's something I want rather than just give stuff away. And then when I actually stop and I get honest with myself, well, actually, maybe that's a selfishness issue because I've got it pretty good. You know, I live in a world where a lot of people are doing a lot tougher than I am. So actually... Maybe that's actually a selfishness issue. I'm not actually seeing the need. But I soon realised that both of these answers make no sense at all if tithing actually puts me under God's provision and protection. God's provision and his protection. Um, I didn't mention it on the way through earlier, but we taught our girls, you know, that uh, 90% with God's blessing goes a long ways further. And I think that's a nice little old adage, 90% with God's blessing goes a whole lot further. So not tithing makes no sense if I believe that tithing actually puts me in God's provision and protection. So I want to get it out there. I'm actually a yes man. Yes, I think as followers of Jesus, we should tithe. So if you're still traveling with me and you're not a tither, thank you. Let's just keep teasing this out a little bit. How would we do that? How would we do that? Well, tithing predated the law of Moses, and it finds its origin, as I said before, in the time of Abraham and Jacob as a faith practice. Abraham and Jacob found a way to tithe long before the rules of the Torah, long before the rules of Leviticus and Deuteronomy were written. So we should probably be able to see that tithing actually isn't an issue of law, it's actually an issue of a faith walk with God. And so we should probably see the example of Abraham and Jacob as like courtroom precedents for us. You know, this is the thing, this is the thing that's existed. It's kind of like part of the way that God made the God made the universe to function and we see that God's heart and the spiritual principles were written in to the written code in the laws. And if we move our thoughts through to the early church, um, the early church didn't really preach tithing. They, they, most, of the, most of the preaching that you can unfold of, of early, the early history of the church actually felt that tithing would be a very inappropriate response from a Christian because it just wouldn't be enough. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? Because they would say things like this. We are part of a better covenant, a greater revelation, a greater joy. Surely we need greater giving. I think I've got that on a slide too, Luke. So how would we tithe? Well, if we're going to tithe, first of all, you're going to have to calculate your increase. Well, that's pretty simple if you've got a wage type increase or an allowance or a pension. There's not much associated with it, not much cost associated with it, maybe a little bit of travel. So your thinking might go like this. I've earned $10,000. I spent about $1,000 getting to and from. My increase is about $9,000. Therefore, my tithe is, my tithe is $900. If you've got that sort of an income, tithing's fairly simple, but it gets a little bit more difficult if you're trading, if you're buying and selling. It's a little bit more difficult to think about what you do with your superannuation. Your superannuation is part of your increase, but we can't get to it for years and years and years. What do we do with our investments? And it's particularly difficult, I find anyway, in thinking about capital gains and inheritances, but maybe that's where our faith actually gets practical and we have to stop and think about those and it exposes our heart. 
Uh, and you know, at times I find myself trying to reduce my giving. Why is that? Um, a funny story in our family heritage, uh, as I said, my, my, my parents weren't um, followers of Jesus for a long time. My dad started coming to church with me a couple of years after I became a Christian. And uh, he tells this story many years after the event, but he said he's sitting there with me, my mate Richard, and, and him. Oh, sorry, me, anyway, we're, we're sitting beside Richard, and that bag comes around. We'd, we'd, we'd graduated from the plate, we had a bag. And the bag came around, and my father looked sideways and saw my friend Richard put two $50 bills in the offering. And he said, he said years after, he said, in my head, I just went, what are you doing, you idiot? Now, this was about 1986 or something. Uh, that was probably equivalent of two or $300. And Richard was a committed Christian. He had a job, and he was a committed tither. And my dad observed him giving his tithe, and it massively challenged him. He just thought, this is crazy. But, you know, my dad's life was turned around by Jesus some months after that. Um, and Jesus transformed his life, and I saw my 46-year-old dad become absolutely committed to tithing with absolute joy. He was at the high point of his career, uh, and, and, and he would just constantly be wanting to give back to God, and part of his giving back to God was to say, thank you, God, for turning my life around, but thank you for looking after me and providing for me all of those years when I gave you no regard at all. And so often to do with his giving was actually a thankfulness for all of those years when, when God uh, was not getting any of Dad's life at all. Much of, much of what we have here today is actually in part a result of my dad's faithfulness in his giving and my mum. Sorry, I need to bundle mum in there as well. But it all started with, you know, in some senses with my dad seeing Richard committed to his giving so that he always, he always understood that that's what following Jesus was partly about. So then the next big question I think for us is, well, if I was going to tithe, what would I actually give my tithe to? We can calculate it, but what would I give it to? We don't have a temple or a Levitical tribe, so like Abraham and Jacob, we really need to work out for ourselves what God might be asking us to do. A useful question that I've found with this is to ask myself, well, what's actually on God's heart? And when I answer that question, I think God's heart is for the poor. You know, Jesus said, you know, his mission in life was he came for the poor and for the downtrodden. And so I think a, an answer that involves the poor is a really important one. I think the Great Commission, you know, Jesus', Jesus last command should be one of our highest priorities, mission. Taking this, taking this gospel message to the world, surely that comes into the equation when it comes to, well, how do I give my, where do I give my tithe? And finally, the local church. You know, the local church is God's idea. I will build my church in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so those three things to me really need to be in your sights when you're thinking about your giving, but I'd actually want to flip them around the other way. Um, I think the local church is actually supposed to be mission central uh, for everything else. The, the great the gospel going out is meant to come out of the local church. The, the poor being cared for is supposed to come out of the church. And it doesn't Many people have preached around Malachi. Did you notice how it says, bring your tithe into the storehouse? And I agree with many commentators that the local church is probably the best way to see the New Testament uh, storehouse. But 
Also, as someone who earns an income from the church, I acknowledge before you today I have a conflict of interest with that, but that's certainly how I've organised my giving long before the church was paying me any money. God calls us to give, but some are actually very gifted at giving, and they're, they're actually gifted at a higher level. Some of you um, probably have the gift that's described in Romans chapter 12. It's just called the gift of giving. I remember a young couple coming to Newvine in the first couple of years, and um, one of those sort of get-to-know-you conversations, I, I looked at them, I said, oh, can you... Have you got any idea what your spiritual gifts are? You know, just as a, something interesting to talk about. And they looked, at, they looked me eye to eye and without flinching, they said, we've got the gift of giving. Tell me more. <laughs> I'd never heard that before. But again, uh, they, they were just a couple that saw that God was allowing them to be a conduit to bless others. Um, and they were constantly asking, what can we be sowing into God? And again, many of the good things that we share here physically and the, things that we, the heritage that we have in ministry and mission comes from that couple's giving. I also know a businessman in Sydney who's taken a vow of poverty, a modern vow of poverty. Well, what he means by that is a vow to live on a median income. He's a very clever entrepreneur, and he has felt from God that he personally is not meant to become a rich man. And so he pays himself a median wage while running several businesses um, with the heart behind funneling all of the profits into church planting, into leadership development, and into mission. Maybe some of you have been given that incredible ability to provide resources to others. And so God might want to use you as a massive conduit of blessing, and you might discover that that's a significant part of the purpose that he has for you. Now, look, I know that um, a lot of Christians don't go on this faith journey, and I know that many here at New Vine probably have not really taken their first step in serious giving. Um, but I, I really just want to encourage you in this grace of giving. In behind this is the sense that God wants to provide for us and he wants to protect us. The great evangelist John Wesley said very famously, now John Wesley was terrific at going out and begging on behalf of the poor and establishing uh, ways of supporting the poor and he was also a great preacher of the gospel that saw thousands and thousands of people uh, come to Jesus. But uh, he famously said, the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. But having walked this walk for a long time, I, I can hand on heart tell you that I know for sure that people who take their giving seriously live their faith adventure with great reward, with great blessing. They've constantly got stories of what God is doing in their lives. And I really want to encourage you in that. Test me in this, says the Lord. Now, um, I was once sitting in a bath Fiona had brought me a cup of coffee. It was too hot to drink, and I had it resting on my knee, half in the water, and I'm thinking, it's not really burning my leg. And then I got thinking, oh, that'll be because the water's kind of insulating it, and Jill Beecroft, it's great to have you back, Jill, had once told me that I can defrost my chicken faster by putting it in the water. Now, the bath was hot, the coffee was hot, but it was too hot to drink, and my brain just kind of, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if the coffee, because I like my coffee hot, I thought, I wonder if my coffee would stay hotter for longer if I half put it in the water or if I just put it out on the side. 
And, uh, and then I got to thinking, you know, back when I was doing university, we did all this, we did this subject called vector calculus and differential equations, and, you know, the, you, you know if I had all the right information, if I, if I kind of knew what the air temperature was and the coffee temperature was and the water temperature was, and, and, and I need to know other things as well, I need to know how deep, you know, above the water the, 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 that was, and, and, then, and then maybe with in, in, integration and, and all of that sort of stuff, we might be able to work out what was, oh, hang on, though, I'd, I'd also need to have a mathematical description of the, the, the shape of the cup. I'd need to know how, how fast the, the um, you know, the, 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 how much the, it con conducted the heat. Oh, there's the froth on the top. The froth is probably sort of insulating it. Oh, and then I just sort of think, I wonder if I could have, you know, back in the day with all of that information, if I could have actually calculated whether the coffee would stay hotter in the water or hotter on the side. And then in a moment of brilliance, I thought, you know what I'd do today? I'd get Fiona to make me two cups of coffee, and I'd put one in the water, and I'd put one on the side, and I'd wait for about five minutes, and then I'd go, hmm, and I'd have my answer. I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> God says, test me in this. And I want to encourage you to test God in this. Um, I certainly noticed that when I began giving away hundreds of dollars regularly, my heart was pulled towards my where my treasure was. The things of God's kingdom, the things of his church, the things of mission became more important and delightful to me. Um, could I encourage you, if this isn't a part of your spiritual practice, commit to it for a year or two and test me in this and see what happens. Look, if I had more time, and I've gone a long time, I appreciate you, your patience. Um, if I had more time, I would have spoken out against the errors of what is often called the prosperity gospel or theology. There's a lot of insidious and really horrible things that are preached in and around giving that are manipulative and really unhelpful. They're, just, they're deceiving excesses. We haven't got time to do that, but let's just take that as read. I'm just encouraging you as a follower in God to go on a journey with him. Um, I also would love to have had time to expand out the beautiful things that Jesus speaks about, about practical matters. Um, a few of them are up there on the board. You might want to take a photo of them. I don't really encourage you just to, to chew on some of this stuff because I feel like Jesus takes that basis of tithing and offerings and he takes it to a whole new level because it's actually about our heart for him and his lordship over our life. He says some beautiful things. They're going to frame up our life group notes. So if you're in a life group, um, you, you'll probably be talking about those things uh, this week. Um, where I think we've heard enough about tithing. And... Uh, <laughs> And let me invite the musos to come up and uh, let me pray for us. Thank you so much. I trust that you've heard that in the, in, you know, with, with the um, heart behind it. Could I, could I encourage you to stand with me? Lord, we, um, we just acknowledge that you are a great God. Um, I love that little saying that we can, we can never outgive you. Lord, you've given it all for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for um, the way that you want to take us on a journey day by day. You want, to, you want us to involve you in our 24-7. In, in our Lord, we know that these practical issues of, of our finances, they, they consume a heap of our life. Lord, we, a lot of our, our life, um, we, we're burdened by worries and all sorts of different things. So Lord, we do ask you to teach us. We ask you to provide for us. We ask you to protect us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.